white display. Red and white display. The intestinal fortitude required. The intestinal fortitude required. To fight on to the ranger objective. To fight on to the ranger objective. And complete the mission. And complete the mission. Go I be the lone survivor. Go I be the lone survivor. Ranger lead the way. What? Trying to bring you down, but for real, you might as well give up now Think you got a chance, but I don't see how Got a real tight grip when I hold that crown My life been good and bad and all around The more things I lost, the more I found One thing I taught myself to do No matter the problem, refuse to lose So, how you want it, man? You can choose If you can't take the heat, don't light the fuse See, I walk in slow and ignite the room Like fire, everything I touch, I consume I'm getting up while y'all just snooze While you make breakfast, man, I'm on the move I'm the first one in and the last one out Whoever Owns the place, gotta drag me out ah. In me I trust, yeah I smell like success This Elon Musk, huh? Everybody wanna be like us We don't stop cause the top just ain't enough, huh? I ain't never gay no fucks, I ain't scamming You know black men don't blush, huh? Came here ready to fight on this night You better just run for your life leaders welcome to a new episode of the world's greatest leaders podcast and today he's originally from washington and he's currently on a road trip to his new home um uh i'm not going to introduce a guy right now because you're going to obviously you're going to get to know him throughout the podcast but <clears throat> um not with no further ado straight from ranger regiment um micah how you doing today man I'm doing good. How are you? I'm doing phenomenal, brother. Thanks for asking. Um, before we get get this thing started, um, just can you just hit, let the audience know on about who? Let the audience know who I'm talking to, kind of. But don't go too in depth. Kind of just like a brief conversation of who is Micah, what does he do, and and stuff like that. Sure. Um, I uh, I was in uh, the army from 2011 to 2020. Um, active duty. I uh, just recently transitioned to the National Guard, um, so I'm not fully out, but uh, I'm going to see what that's like. Um, I'm from eastern Washington, rural part of the country, and um, I uh, spent my Army time as infantry with the Division first, and then mid my career, I made the transition to the 2nd Ranger over at uh, Joint Base Lewis. Uh, in Tacoma. Okay. Well. <clears throat> all right. Well, we're we're gonna get this uh this thing started. Um, I usually have this thing called the called gun it, or I'm just gonna hit you with some random questions. Just kind of just go get a sure. little warm up before we start the interview. All right. Yes. Sounds great. All right. Um. All right. Where is your favorite place in the world? Oh, favorite place in the world, probably Yellowstone. Probably where? Yellowstone National Park. Okay. Um, favorite alcoholic beverage? Ooh, that's a good one. Um, it's either tequila or Rainier beer. Oh, dude, tequila. Jose Cuervo or, or 1800? Um, I'm, I'm cheap. I, I like that Sousa or El, El Himidor. <laughs> uh, all right. Um, <sighs> what's your biggest pet peeve? Oh, man. Um... That's a tough one. I think my biggest pet peeve is 
people driving really stupid. Yeah, that pisses me off. Have you been to okay. Have you been to South Florida? What's that? Have you been to South Florida? It's like the worst place ever to drive. Everybody sucks. Uh, I've never been. I hear uh, I hear Miami and Dade County is a, a terrible place to it's drive. Awful. <laughs> All right. Uh, what's your favorite MRE? Oh shit! Favorite MRE, hands down, chicken pesto pasta. Oh, that's gross. <laughs> uh, what is one field snack that you cannot forget to bring to the field? Um, my go-to is gummy bears. They're, uh, they're great to fuel you up on a ruck march. Oh, fuck yeah, dude. I remember I was, I, I was still in basic training and my drill was like, hey man, when you get to your unit, you get a, a pair of gummy bears for a ruck. And I'm like, gummy bears for a ruck march? What are you talking about? And I did it and he yeah. was like, it was phenomenal. Um, uh, if you were, I don't know, if you were chief of staff, what regulation would you add or change? Oh man, um, that's a that's a tough one. I think my biggest uh, my biggest issue that I feel like <clears throat> policy could fix super fast is uh, in defects. Married guys have to bring cash, and, or they can't. And I think quick change, just put card readers in all the fucking defects. It'd be so easy. Oh yeah, and people would actually. So defect defect here in here in, in in Graf Germany they have card readers but that motherfucker hasn't been working for like three years. Dang. Not, I mean, I, yeah, I, our uh, every defect I've ever eaten at, you either had to have a meal card or bring actual like dollar bills to pay, or they would turn you away. And I'm like, yo, most of the army is married people that are trying to eat cheap. And people are going to the gas station or Domino's because they can't go to the defect and get, like, good food without bringing, like, $20 in their pocket or whatever to break at the desk. It's like, just put a fucking... <laughs> yeah, it, it, uh, yeah, that's a good one. Um, what is one thing that you believe to be a subject matter expert in? Oh, God. Um, layouts. <laughs> <laughs> that's everybody, dude. Okay, okay. Uh, what is one skill set that you wish you had that you currently don't? That I wish I had? Um, I really wish I knew how to like play guitar. I think that's a really cool thing to learn. Um, if all jobs pay the same, what would you be doing? Oh, damn. That's a good one. Uh, if all jobs pay the same, I would probably... I don't know, be rock climbing or like making artwork or something, something acting. Um, let's see. What was the last thing that you did in public and you were glad that nobody was watching? Oh God, I did in public and was glad no one was watching. Um, Because of all this coronavirus, uh, so much shut down, and I was driving around downtown, and I ha could find nowhere to use the bathroom, so I had to pull over and go pee in a uh, in an alleyway in broad daylight. <laughs> you know that in Germany, you can, Germany you can piss in public and 
it's not uh, against the law. Wow. <laughs> yeah. I heard the same. I heard the same about Italy that people do it in Rome, just on the street. I haven't I haven't been to to Rome or Italy, but I'm I'm sure it's all Europe is like that. <clears throat> yeah. Um, shit, I'm running out. I'm running out of some of these. Um. Oh, this is a good one. If you're at an airport and an airline gave you a ticket to go anywhere in the world, where would you go? Oh, wow. Uh, if I could go anywhere on Earth, I would probably go to, like, one of those tiny little islands in the Pacific that, like, you know, in the Marshall Islands, Samoa or Fiji or one of those, like, in the middle of nowhere just to see what it's like. All right, and the last one, what is the best piece of advice that you can give someone? Best piece of advice is probably stay humble. Like, always try to be learning stuff. Mm -hmm. Always try to learn more. All right. Well, that that finished off the gun it. Uh, I feel like we're pretty warmed up, and we can we can we can carry on with this interview, right? <clears throat> uh, before we before I start the questions, now can you go a little bit more in depth on like on who is uh, kind of like your military career, places you've been, schools you attended, uh, plans for the future, and, and certain stuff like that. Yeah, sure. Um, so I grew up in a. Uh, kind of a military town not really um my hometown is where they made all of the uh the nuclear uh, material for the bombs that america dropped on japan in world war ii so um a nuclear plant in town and a ton of the people i grew up around were military veterans either air force pilots or navy nuclear guys um and my grandfather was in the army and my uncle served in Vietnam. Mm. Um, and I went to the same high school that General Jim Mattis graduated from. So it was a it's a really patriotic area. Um, everybody loves the military. Um, and it's just a really, uh, like, small-town feel. Um, <clears throat> and so I kind of knew from a young age that, like, I wanted to go to college. I wanted to, like, go get a job and everything. But that idea of like off and joining the military was always in the back of my head. Um, so when I was 17, I went and enlisted at MEPS in the entry program. So I enlisted my junior year in high school and it was like a promise that I was going to graduate high school. And after my senior year, I graduated like five days later, I was down to Fort Benning, Georgia to go to infantry basic training. Um, and when I joined, I like I kind of knew about contracts a little bit, but I really didn't know what I was getting myself into. And so... Um, <laughs> <Don't us all. laughs> yeah, seriously. If I could do it all over again, I wouldn't have shipped so soon after graduation, and I would have locked in exactly what I wanted to do uh, whether it was option 40, that, uh, paratrooper or SF contract or whatever. Um, but I just knew like 
infantry are the guys that shoot guns. They're like the guys who actually go do all the stuff they put in movies. And I'll, I don't want to go be a guy and sit at a desk. I want to like go do army shit. So um, I uh, I like walked into the recruiter. First thing I told him is like, I want to be infantry. How can I do that? Um, so I was probably the easiest recruit in the world to enlist because I had no idea what I was doing. I just told them what job I wanted. Um, so I ship off to basic and, um, I, when I went to basic training, I was from Washington. So I knew Fort Lewis existed. Um, and my brother was actually in second ID. So I was like, Oh, I'm going to join the army. I'm going to go infantry. And there's only two places infantry goes and Texas and Washington. And I was like, cool. So I graduate basic and they hand me my orders and it says Fort Drum, New York. And I was like, <laughs> Oh, I'm going to like city. I'm going to like work in New York city. That's pretty cool. Um, and my mom, cause I went to basic before you could have like, uh, internet access and cell phones and stuff. My mom printed off the Wikipedia article on Fort Drum, New York and sent it to me in a letter. So I get a website like printed on black and white paper and I read all about the city. And, uh, for those that don't know, Fort Drum, New York is closer to Ontario, Canada than is to New York city <laughs> by about six hours. Yeah. So you much getting stationed in Canada. Um, so that was kind of like a shock to me. And, uh, I go home, see my girlfriend, um, after basic and then I fly out and, I go to one of the coldest parts of the country. Um, I think he's actually imaginable. the base. Yeah, they, uh, there's this crazy scientific phenomenon called lake effect where um, cold air will come down from Canada and as it blows across the Great Lakes, because it's over water and not solid ground, the air temperature actually gets colder below the lake than it is north of the lake. So it could be, say, 32 degrees in Canada, and as the wind blows across the water, the snow that hits you on the other side of the lake will be more moist because of the water, and it'll also be about 30 degrees colder, so it'll be like zero degrees in America. That sucks. It's really... Um, I was not prepared. I showed up to my first unit in October, and, like... If you've never seen, like, crazy snow, and I was like, Washington, I've seen snow. And, I, like, I get to New York, and within two months, um, it probably snowed eight. Um, and we had, like, snowblowers that we would have to snowblow the parking. And they would put uh, snow plows on the front of our Humvees, and we would have to plow out parking spots otherwise people would get stuck on their way to work so it was uh, it was quite a culture shock to go from the, the northwest to the complete opposite country. um and i was from the part of washington they call it the desert high desert and it gets real hot it's real dry it's not humid and it's not cold i was not ready for for the 10th mountain division um uh, another secret they don't tell you about the 10th Mountain is there are not mountains at the 10th Mountain Division. 
Um, <laughs> it was started in Colorado, and they moved it in the 80s for some reason to uh, New York, to Watertown. And Watertown was an army base for tanks because it's really flat and it's easy to drive tanks there. Um, so, yeah, it's they just call it that because of heritage purposes. So that's where I served my first uh, five years in the army. And um, I, uh, from the 10th Mountain Division, I went to uh, ranger school. I went to air assault school um, and I went to airborne school. And they uh, also sent me to a course um, the command course, which was put by the light fighter school, and it was like a winter survival. Um, like they teach you about knots, they teach you about how to make like snow caves and stuff like that. It was interesting. Um, and I did my first deployment with the 10th Division uh, nine months in Afghanistan. Um, and that was the tipping point of me deciding the regular side for me was uh, not what I wanted for my career, and uh, so I started looking into operations um, on that deployment. Um, so on that deployment, I was actually uh, a guard force, so we like checked people's IDs, we ran towers with 240s, uh, machine guns, and uh, we guarded a special operations camp and so I watched the all of the battalions of the Ranger Regiment come on camp. We would guard their airfield, we would guard their their barrier, see them do the training, their glass houses and all other stuff. We would see them load on these buses and drive to the airfield and we would watch them load up their whole strike force and then fly out and then 12, 13 hours later, they would come back, and we would see them, we would see them come back with their, their dude bags over their heads and shit, and I was like, what am I doing checking gate, flying around, shooting guns, and throwing bags over people's heads, like, that looks way better. Hey, Micah, so, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a hang up right here, and I'm gonna try to call you on only audio, cause you're cutting out a lot, just give me like two seconds. Yeah, I can hear you. Is it better with a uh, speakerphone or is it better if not? Um, I don't know, man. It's cutting, but we'll, we'll see how it goes now. Okay, you're on speaker right now. I can put it up to my face if you want. I think it'll be better. Okay. All right, you want me to roll it back a little bit? Oh, dude, that's a lot better. Um, yeah, just go okay. back to whenever you're talking about um the guy's... Loading up to a bird and then coming back a couple hours later. Sure. So we would watch the uh, the rangers do their pre-mission training. We would see them doing glass houses with their privates and stuff. They would use <clears throat> a little range on the camp, and we would see all their uh, their training. And then we would watch them like get their full strike force in kit, load up on these buses, and they're like Van Halen tour buses. They would drive out to the airfield. And then load up uh, Chinook helicopters and fly out. And we would see them come back like 
10, 12 hours later and watch them evac their casualties from the bird or um, come back with uh, um, guys with bags over their head or whatever. And I was just like, what am I doing with my career sitting, checking people's IDs at this gate and like wearing iPro and PT belts. And these guys are like out here doing shit. So um, that was when I started, uh, I, I was seeing some of my ranger buddies from, uh, from ranger school that were um, NCOs or corporals um, in the battalions. And I would see them like walking to chow or walking around camp or like hit them up in the gym. And I pulled one of them to the side and I was like, Hey, who could I talk to about like joining battalion? And he was like, Oh, Hey, come talk to my first sergeant. So I, I go talk to his first sergeant and I was like, Hey man, uh, I went to ranger school with, uh, one of your guys here. Um, and he was telling me about what you guys do a little bit. And like, I've been watching all the battalions for the past like six months. Um, and he was like, Oh, here, this is the person you email. Um, so I sent my, uh, ERB and I sent my last NCOER, um, cause I was a, an E5 sergeant at the time, um, to 75 recruit at, uh, SOCOM.mil. And right away I got, um, an answer back from the recruiter and he was like, Hey, um, these are, this is the process you need to do. So I go through the process. I got rec- letters of recommendation and do a physical and stuff like that. And then when I redeploy back to America, six months later, um, I got to go to RASP, um, which is the, uh, for those of you who don't know, um, it's the assessment and selection for the 75th Ranger Regiment. Um, so it's, it's not like uh, SFAS for Special Forces. It's a totally separate deal, and it's run by Rangers. It's not run by like drill sergeants or anything. <clears throat> so... I went to RASP in 2016, and I, uh, I worked really hard. Um, I graduated as the honor grad of my class, um, and they gave me orders to the 3rd Ranger Battalion down at Fort Benning. Um, and when I went back to my company at 10th Mountain, um, my first sergeant was from the 3rd Ranger Battalion, and I... Uh, I begged and pleaded for him to uh, call a favor to get my orders changed to uh, Fort Lewis, Washington, to the 2nd Ranger Battalion, um, because I wanted to be a little bit closer to family for my wife. Um, And uh, I had always wanted to be stationed at Fort Lewis, um, and I was like, I did not just work my ass off to to go live at Fort Benning. <laughs> no disrespect to 3rd Bat yeah. and uh, RHQ, but I would not enjoy living at Fort Benning. <laughs> I feel you. But, uh, so, <clears throat> he, uh, he pulled some strings, and uh, I got him a big old bottle of uh, Jameson to say thank you. Um, and I PCS'd from Fort Drum, New York, in 2016 uh, to Fort Lewis. And then uh, that's where I started my ranger career, um, which just ended in May of 2020. Um, so I was I was at uh, at the ranger regiment for just shy of four years, um, and I served as a uh, an E5 and an E6 um, in Ranger Battalion. So, so like, 
it, you go to SFAS, you, you can make it all the way through and not get picked up. But uh, in RASP, is it... If you like make it all the way through, you 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 you're a ranger, or or how does that work? How does the selection on there? Um yeah, there. So I I have been to both. Um, so I I could actually kind of do a little compare and contrast sort of. Um, so special forces selection is like you are being assessed the entire time, um, and the goal ideally for the cadre is. Like the whole process is to weed people out, but they also, you can be a select or a non-select. So just because you survived to the end of it doesn't mean that you're what they want. Um, and the selection mentality in RASP is a little bit different because they're selecting, um, the Ranger Regiment is unlike Special Forces in that they have privates. Um, so they are selecting people who have only been in the army for 16 weeks. Um, and they will, uh, they will pick people who, um, arguably you could say are like slightly less qualified, but that they see potential in that if they pick them up as a private, they can, um, they can learn and grow and mature as a person and as a soldier, um, while they are serving as a ranger. Mm -hmm. Um, and if you're picked up at RASP uh, as a private, there is no guarantee that you will stay in Ranger Regiment your entire career um, because both Special Forces and Ranger Regiment have this uh, unique thing that not other Army units have called Relieve for Standards and they or Release for Standards or RFS. So um, you're being looked at and judged every single day that you're in Ranger Battalion. And if you aren't upholding the standard, whether it's with alcohol or drugs or illegal activity, or if it's like you're failing to physically meet the standard of PT or honesty or whatever the failure is, um, it doesn't have to be a chapter offense like a big army unit does where they would kick you out of the entire army. If you fail to meet the standards, they will kick you out of the Ranger Regiment into another unit oh. and they don't you end your career but they end your ranger career so you can still serve the rest of your contract but you're gonna serve it somewhere else they'll send you down the road or make you pcs somewhere hmm. um so uh the the mindset of the assessment is a little bit different because they want someone who's physically strong in rasp but they also are looking for people who are decisive. They're also looking for people who are mentally strong and uh, they don't quit when um, the task is seems a little bit uh, larger than life or um, not necessarily something they could do by themselves because at almost no point in your ranger career will you ever be by yourself. You'll nine times out of ten be in a group of at least four or more people. Um, usually you're in a group of a platoon. Um, so they're looking for people who are team players, people who are mentally strong, um, and they have a weeding out process, um, similar to the first week of ranger school, the, the rap week, um, or the standards week of SFAS, where you're going to do a PT test. They're going to run you on, they call them death runs in RASP, where it's not a PT test run. It's just an event 
but if you fall out of that run, it's a failure to meet standards and they'll drop you. Um, and the guys who are doing these assessment are in they're super professional NCOs in really good shape. They have all have multiple deployments. Most of them have combat experience. Um, and they're not all 11 Bravos because the Ranger Regiment comes, uh, it's an entire regiment. So there are support personnel who serve in the Ranger Regiment. Um, there are uh, administrative clerks. There are supply people, uh, signal um maintainers in the motor pool, all sorts of people. Um, and so your cadre aren't always going to be 11 Bravo guys. Sometimes you'll have a cadre who's some other thing, and he's going to be looking at the candidates who are like his group of people. Um, but the, the cadre are assessing for a, a whole laundry list of um, characteristics and they have this, um, like, almost a culminating event on week three, or at least it was week three when I went through, um, called Coal Range. And they pull out all the stops. They are smoking you. They're making you do, like, mental tasks, like organize your bags and stuff. And you have to build things out of sandbags or do things as a group. And they're just trying to, like push you to your breaking point and the entire time you're out at coal range also between the smokings you have to go out and do your land nav test so you have the mental stress of am i going to pass land nav and then you also have all of the other additional stressors they're placing on you and generally if you pass coal range most candidates that pass coal range will continue on to graduate but it's not always guaranteed because after coal range, you have to do all of the academic learning of marksmanship, demolitions, airborne operations, uh, fast rope insertion, and things like that. Um, and so we had a chaplain assistant when I went, and he passed coal range. But when we were on marksmanship, this man was very unfamiliar with guns and uh, he committed like two safety violations in one day and was dropped. Didn't even we didn't even see him at the barracks when we went home that night. Oh shit! Um, so like he was on week six or seven of eight because um, RASP is a two month process. Um, and that's another thing with uh, a difference is in SFAS you are driven out into the woods to Camp McCall and you live out there you have no interaction with people you don't wear ranks you um like you are owned by the sfas cadre for those three weeks and um you have to do all of their tests they do academic tests and a bunch of stuff um but in rasp you're you're still you're right down the road from airborne school um for the first three weeks the first phase you're just getting scuffed up like all the time and it's it's pretty taxing um, but after coal range, they give you a little bit of freedom. So you're allowed to, if you have a car, which some of the candidates do, um, you can drive into town, um, but you have to be back for formations every single night. Um, you can drive around post to go to the PX or pick things up. Um, it's mostly like recovery time because they, it is such a physically demanding course, but it's a two-month course instead of a three-week course. Mm -hmm. So not, it, uh, so the compressed. process is definitely 
It's definitely different. What was that? It's not. It's not uh, compressed like SFAS is. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's yeah, it's it's different. You you live in barracks in RASP. Um, you you have like all your personal belongings that you graduated basic training with. Most candidates go straight from basic training or AIT, depending what MOS they are, to RASP. So they have like a bunch of duffel bags, whereas SFAS, it's like you have this super strict packing list. Um, but yeah, the they're just different. Um, but generally speaking, if you make it to the end of RASP, you will graduate. Whereas if you make it to the end of SFAS, um, when I went, uh, there was probably the final day and there was like, I, I would say like 60 non-selects in the group that, um, they made it all the way to the end and they were like, Hey, you're just not what we're looking for. Yeah. Fucking sucks, uh, dude. Yeah. Yeah. I did. It's a pretty, pretty big blow. Yeah. So what, what is, what is some advice that you have for, um, for like soldiers that, or even a guy coming, coming off the street? that has an option mm-hmm. 40 contract, what is some advice that you have for the, those people that are, are ready to go or want to go? Um, I think that the biggest misconception about special operations guys and specifically about Rangers, um, I can't really speak for the other branches, um, like Navy SEALs or, <clears throat> or the Air Force guys or whatever, but everybody, um, they always are talking about like, oh, Rangers are these like, superhuman guys they're all i don't know built like captain america and just these monsters and that may be true of guys that are in the regiment and have been in the regiment since they were 17 years old um because by all means there are some guys that i worked with that were absolute just monsters but they had also been on that grind in the gym and going through all these deployments where they could just focus on their physical um, bodybuilding or their nutrition or whatever without like the distractions of day-to-day life for some of them 10 years. Um, So you just got to keep in mind that like what is expected of a brand new recruit and what's expected of a guy who has been living the Ranger standard for 10 years are not the same. Um, they don't expect you to be like some Olympic athlete when you come off the street, but they do have very high standards of physical fitness. Um, they do expect you to carry yourself in a certain way and like be a little bit more mature. Um, and there's no maturity like number on the ASVAB. So that's kind of where they get that GT score. They have a general technical score you're supposed to score of like 110 i think um and that it, they say it weeds out dumb people but i mean the, the army has proved to me that there are dumb people at every rank at every level of in, intelligence on paper uh, dude and, i worked like I, I worked with a guy that he had like a 132 and this dude was a complete idiot like yeah, <laughs> they have dumb we, asses my, at my my uh we would always joke with some of the guys I worked with that we had guys at, at work that were book smart and life retarded. Yeah. And I, I think it it's, there's some things that you can't replace with like a book. And I think social interaction is a big one, but um, yeah, they expect a, they expect you to be 
like a little more of a mature person to take your job seriously when you come in. Um, and if you're like a kid in high school and you don't know if you want to like try special operations or whatever, I would say the biggest thing that you need to do is you need to look up the standards. And if you can't meet them right now, don't go talk to a recruiter about joining option 40 because you're going to get dropped if you can't run that fast or do that many push-ups. And like you do get kind of built up in basic training, but I wouldn't go to basic training expecting some uh, P90X or insanity transformation with your body because like that's uh, that's not what happens at basic yeah. training. Um, they're there to make you from a civilian into a soldier. They're not there to like tone your abs or biceps or whatever. So like definitely I think the biggest weakness I had entering the military was I was a really big track and cross country guy. So whenever I would see the army standards for like runs, I would just laugh at it. Cause I'm like, that's ridiculously slow. But when I joined the army, I immediately put on about 50 pounds of weight because I was eating more and I was doing push-ups and sit-ups and all of this stuff. So I was gaining muscle in areas of my body that were underdeveloped and I was just carrying around more upper body weight. And it's like, if you were a cross country guy and they were like, yeah, run a 11 minute, two mile, you'd be like, sure, whatever. But if they told a cross country kid, okay, go do 85 push-ups they would look at them like they're crazy. So it's like you have to have that physical balance, like going to the gym, doing benches great, doing deadlifts or whatever um, to kind of be a more well-rounded athlete is definitely going to benefit someone who is looking to join the regiment because um, they don't want you to be the Hulk, but they, they expect you to be able to carry your own weight and they expect you to be able to carry – your ranger buddy if they like got hurt or something um so like rucking is huge running is huge and i know some guys that they they look awesome in the gym and then they'll go to a selection process and they'll be like man that ruck blew me out of the water i was i can deadlift 450 pounds and I, my legs were like cramping up and I was getting shin splints from rucking 12 miles. And it's like, you have to have that balance. So I think that's a, a huge part of it. Okay. Uh, yeah. It's, it's, I think that's literally any kind of like selection process. If, if you can't meet the standard, just don't go and just like, yeah, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna try it out. Cause like you said, it means you're going to get to there. You're not going to meet the standard and you're going to be just a waste of time of everybody around you. Yep. Yep. Um, well, and I also like, uh, I can't stress enough the mental aspect too, because, um, like when I went down to ranger school, um, it was like, I had put so much prep and so much time into it because coming from regular army, you have to beat the guys in your battalion to go to the division, or at least this was my journey. You have to beat the guys in your battalion, which in my case, was probably like 600 people, maybe 800. And then you have to beat the guys in your division, which is closer to like 2,000 people, maybe 3,000 people at the time. Um, and then you have to go from that group that like was selected from your division, go down to ranger school, 
and not get beat in rap week and stuff, not like fail the standard. And so I was like, I've worked too hard just to show up to go home. And like, I just took that like whole idea of quitting and I just threw that shit away. Cause I was like, no, I'm not going to put this much time and effort and like heartache into something where I'm just going to quit. Like that doesn't make any sense to me, but Mm -hmm. the mental aspect, you got to have that drive like within you to, to pass, you know? Yeah. Um, what, what do you think is the most rewarding part about being part of the regiment? Um, it's hard to describe, but I would say um, there's all these like motivating things that they say at like graduations, and they they'll like write them in books about battalion and stuff about how uh, rangers are uh, what do they say four time volunteers because we volunteer for the army, we volunteer to be paratroopers. We volunteer for the regiment, and then you volunteer a fourth time to go attend ranger school. And once you have your tab and your scroll, you're considered a real ranger. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that's not like a real army thing. That's just like a – it's like a culture thing within the regiment. Yeah. <clears throat> um, but you have to think that a guy who's like – I'm not saying I disrespect civilians, but when you look at a soldier – even just a just some random soldier in the military or even a service member at all that person at one point raised their right hand and was like i know it's dangerous i know i could get hurt but i want to go serve my country and then you look at guys that are airborne and willing to jump out of planes and stuff and they have Fuck yeah again chosen something more difficult and then you look at a ranger private and that guy has done that three times now. And some of them are only 17 years old. So maybe it's bravery. Maybe it's stupidity. You don't know at that point. But then you look at a ranger NCO or officer, and that person has volunteered four times to be at the front lines, at the, as they say in the ranger creed, at the cutting edge of battle. Mm-hmm. So you have that culture, that like meat eater mentality of like, I don't want to be a soldier. I want to be the guy with the gun running to the sound of the gunfire. Mm-hmm. And you you don't have that in every organization. There are absolutely in the big army I experienced people who were almost using the army as like a welfare system because it's like, hey, I passed basic training. I've arrived. Like now I just have to pass some runs and PT tests. And if I just keep re-enlisting, like, I'll keep getting a paycheck, and it's not that hard. And it's like, you can be a soldier that way. You can retire as a staff sergeant that way. And it's like, that's not that's not the kind of guy I want to serve with. I want to serve with a guy who, who, like, wants to be at work every day, loves his job. Maybe not loves his job, but, like, has a strong desire to be there. And to be better and to be like the best soldier he can. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's like 99% of the guys in regiment. There's every now, every organization has people who like made it there and then they realize like this isn't for them and they're just writing their time out. But the percentage of dudes that are like that in battalion, it's so low. Mm-hmm. It's so low. <clears throat> yeah. I mean, yeah. 
that's that's something I, I, I'm really intrigued about the whole ranger mindset. But we're gonna talk about that uh, in a little bit. <clears throat> sure. But um, you, you spent you spent almost five years on, at the at the regular army, right? At 10th Mountain Division. Yes. And I spent yes, yeah, just under four and a half. So yeah. So you start you so it, it's obvious that the regular army is a lot different than the ranger regiment, a lot different than SF and then ranger regiment is different than SF and go on. But <clears throat> you growing up, especially when you got there as a brand new soldier, you growing up, you start developing your style. You start looking at your NCOs and you start developing your leadership style. Uh, yes, absolutely. What not to do, what not to do. What is a, what is a good, uh, good way to decide things. And then you move to ranger regiment which is a completely different beast, right? What do you think, yeah. like, you think your leadership approach or like your soldier approach changed from before you joined the regiment to now? And if it did, how did that change? Um, I, yeah, I think it definitely changed um, from when I was like a young E5 to when I was a more senior sergeant and then um absolutely once i became a staff sergeant just because your your role changes um when you uh get promoted that uh that second time um but i i kind of had a um a weird career progression because i enlisted as a pfc so i was like not a specialist but i wasn't like the lowest ranking guy um and the people i worked with like kind of saw that um when i showed up to my unit we would like do these they, they call them knowledge checks or uh, i call them get smarter get strong where like your team leader would like ask you a question or quiz you or whatever and if you if you got it right you you stood a parade rest and if you got it wrong they would just like fuck you up <clears throat> and when i showed up from basic training i showed up with three other guys and it was like readily apparent that the other guys were like not as um, knowledgeable or uh, like couldn't learn as fast. Um, and so they were like, oh, you're like trying to show your buddies up. And I was like, oh, shit. So I like learned pretty quickly like, hey, don't stand out or like everybody's going to like focus in on you. But then um, – that's like a super private mentality. And at a certain point, I just realized that my personality was not to just blend in and be the gray man, but like my own, how I like to be my own, like drive within me was to be the best to like attempt to be the best. Like I'm, I'm not the best at everything, but I'll try. Um, and, uh, so that definitely like had an effect on me. Um, but then all the guys that I was like growing up with as a private, um, it, they kind of would get in that like comfortable spot and be like, Oh, I, I do work. I like yell at the new, new guy, but I'm not an NCO. So I don't actually have to do like that much work and I can just go back to my room and play video games or sham or whatever. And I, it always like really rubbed me the wrong way to like sham. And so I would, I would learn to like take charge or whatever, get a task done. And I was always the guy who was trying to like accomplish stuff so that we could get off work. Um, and 
so that we could like get the job done. Um, so that, that was something that I learned in the big army was that there's guys who it's like that thing that scene in 21 jump street where Channing Tatum is, uh, trying to blend in with the high schoolers and he says, Oh, you're trying gross. Yeah. Like that. that mentality is like so pervasive in the army where like trying hard isn't cool. And that like really affected me as a private and as a, a specialist that like, no, fuck that. You should be trying. You should be like attempting to be better. Um, and so I, I really took that as like kind of my, my driving force when I first became an E5. Um, but I had some really good leaders when I was a young E5 that showed me that like outdoing the specialists will get you E5, but you can't be like a selfish person and be an NCO. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. you can't like, just because you do more push ups and more sit ups and more and run better and shoot better. Like that will make, get you to be an E5, but you have to then go and try and teach coach and mentor your subordinates to be like you. Because if you're just this freaking stellar guy and then you have a fire team and they all suck, that just shows that you're a super selfish person and you don't actually care about your group because you're not showing them how to run faster. You're not showing them the fundamentals of marksmanship. You're not like teaching them the little tricks of the trade that you've learned as you've progressed to where you are. So um, I had some really good squad leaders, some really good NCOs that I worked with that like they taught me like about passing on your knowledge and about like trying to make the whole group better. And it's like, you can go to your Gucci schools and get badges, and like go to soldier of the month and get a little award for a little medal for like knowing all the regulations and stuff. And those look great for you individually, but it's all that work after work, uh, mentoring guys or making like a packet full of knowledge and stuff like that to like give your private so that they can learn and they can know their job better. That's the stuff that really separates like leaders from guys who just want like to wear attention the and accolades. They just want exactly. They just want to wear the yes. rank, and it goes back to that. It's the guy you see all the time. Guys just want to put on the, the stripes on, but they don't want to like do the stripes work. But it's it's and, and that that's some shit that is it's very uh you, you can spot those kind of people like instantly. The guy the the in. It won't. It won't stop. Like like you said, the mentality of guys that like, oh, you're trying, ha ha ha. Like you see guys doing that, even like guys that have stripes on their chest, and, it, and it's very yes, absolutely it's, it's yes. Not the right thing to do, right? But it's even in even in the Ranger Regiment, there is that mentality of like, oh, why are you doing like, why are you doing so much? Why are you working so hard? Um, and it's like everyone they. They work really, really, really hard to kick up their feet. And you'll see it in different ways. Like everyone in Ranger Regiment is, well, not everyone. Most people in Ranger Regiment are gym rats or like if they aren't like must, like like gym gym rats, they're like, uh, they'll do like Spartan race type things where it's like an endurance gym rat type thing. So they're all about like physical stuff. But then 
when you go and be like, hey, we need to do this like work thing, you will see that mentality kind of come out where there's one guy who will step up and be like, this is the thing that needs to get done. And then there's like some tabs or some E5. That's what we call our uh, tabbed specialists. They're not E5s yet. They're, we call them tabs. Mm-hmm. And some tabs will be like, I've already got my Ranger tab. Like I can chill. This is as far as my career needs to go. Like I'm not getting messed up every day as a private. I have my tab. That's my like safety shield. So I can just chill and sham because I've already accomplished the end all be all. And so you will see that, but those guys don't make E5. Those guys don't, they don't progress within the regiment. And unless they get RFS out of the regiment, they usually don't progress very far in the army and are mostly like terminal tabs. And they just ETS is that. Yeah, and you, you make a great point because having a tab in, in regiments is normal, right? Like everybody should have a tab. Yes. But yes. it's more, it's more like all, like not normal when you see someone that doesn't have a tab. And like, I don't know if yes. it's a rumor or not, but a lot of people, at least here in the regular army, they'll, they'll talk about how, oh, if you're in the regiment and you got a tab, you're a piece of shit. You're like, you get, you get uh, scuffed up all the time and all that stuff. Like, can you just hit a bit on that? And how, how, how do you Rangers see guys that are in regiment, but don't have tabs? Um, so it's, uh, <clears throat> We so every, every unit has like your uh, um, your blue book, your unit standards that are put out by the regimental sergeant major, um, and so in the blue book it says that within two years of graduation of RASP, every ranger will attend ranger school. <laughs> so mostly we send our privates after one training cycle and deployment, usually. Sometimes if Something else is going on. We'll send them instead of going and deploying, and they'll they'll miss a deployment to go to school. So um, that first two years of your career as a ranger are really like the building block foundations of how your experience is going to be. So um, I showed up to regiment as an E five with a tab already, but um, there were I showed up to my battalion with about probably thirty other rangers of different MOSs, different jobs, whatever. Um, and the majority of them went to ranger school within nine months of arriving. So, um, uh, for everybody in the army, it's a pretty typical, um, experience. You do your team live fire, your squad platoon, and then a company live fire. And then for rangers, we also do this thing called task force training where you get your enablers, your air force guys, your, um, other people that you work with and they come out and you do like a full practice mission. Um, and you do like a couple of them. So, uh, you work from your four man team. Well, you work from standards week where it's like you individually have to prove that you can ruck, that you can qualify on your gun, um, that you can pass your PT test and your ranger assess, your ranger physical assessment. Um, so you work from the individual ranger all the way up to the entire battalion functioning as a battalion. Um, and then once you are like blessed off, then you go deploy and then you come back and it's like, okay, you now know what is expected of you. Now go to ranger school, come back and you can be a leader in this organization. <clears throat> so that's like the goal, but not everyone, uh, passes. Uh, you either 
leave ranger school with a tab or a story. So some guys come back and they're like, oh, I rolled my ankle. Oh, I got screwed on patrols. Oh, I, they didn't like me. I got peered. Um, and it's like, okay, that's fine. You still have your two-year uh, mark. So we will send you again. Um, so some of them, some of them go back six months later. Some of them go back three months later. Some of them go back a year later, depending on why they came back. If you got peered, like that's kind of on you. And like, you just need to do some soul searching and figure out why people think you're a douchebag. If you got hurt, obviously the medical staff will step in and decide whether you can go back um, and if they think you can, um, then they'll uh, put like a timeline. And if they think you can't, then you'll you'll be RFS'd, and it's no fault to you. It's just like, hey, medically you couldn't meet the standards. <clears throat> um, and all of this depends on the length of the uh, the ranger's um, contract. So, if you're like a really soft skill MOS, like say you are a cyber warfare guy, and they sent you to go get your tab, and you failed but you only have 18 months left on your contract before you ETS, they may keep you as an untabbed guy, but you're not going to be the leader of your section. You're just going to be a guy who works in your section, and they may let you like finish your career and then ETS the army. But it's, it's usually, if you're an infantry guy, they're going to probably RFS you. Mm -hmm. um, it's very uncommon to see an infantry private that fails ranger school twice and doesn't get RFS'd. And I've seen people get RFS'd six months before they get out of the army, and they'll they'll just go down the street to the big army unit uh, on post, and they'll just do the soldier for life process from that big army unit. Okay. <clears throat> so um, the whole like, oh, we think you're a piece of shit, like – to be perfectly honest, like, uh, like we talk shit about the units that are down the street and stuff, um, but mostly rangers are, like, so busy and so worried about, like, themselves and their own peers that it's not like we're thinking about what the big army is doing, but there's a, there's a thing in battalion, the, the famous tab check, where um, it's mostly the tabs, like, NCOs sometimes would do it but it's kind of like like a hey, you're at, you're at e5 you're e6 like you shouldn't be tab checking people like come on um it's like a childish type thing almost but the tabs are like they are the ones who set the flavor for what your experience is going to be like as a private because they've been a private and they know what you need to know so they're the ones who are going to be teaching you if your team leader isn't the one teaching you yet mm -hmm. <clears throat> And they're the ones who you are going to interact with because as a general rule, privates don't talk to NCOs at all. That's <laughs> like unless you are spoken to by the NCO, you don't just walk up to a staff sergeant and battalion and be like, hey, yo, what's up, man? I need blah, blah, blah. Like that's like a big no-no. So you communicate to the NCOs through the tabs if you're a private. Okay, yeah, it's following that chain, man. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, so – but the tabs will like – like I worked in the uh, the specialty company, so like the mortars were with were in our company, and it's not uncommon. We would have this thing on Fridays that the tabs called Thousand Rep Friday, and they would pick an exercise, and their privates would do a thousand of that, whether it was burpees, <laughs> air squats, climbing the ropes, uh, 
push-ups, whatever it was, and they had from 5.45 a.m. to whenever they got off. And when, they, when, they, when they hit a thousand reps, that's when they decided when they would get off. Oh shit, that's fucking. I don't know. I, I that that sounds dope, but I have a feeling that a lot of guys in the regular army would have like their butt hurt and get all upset about this shit. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's just significantly less of the butt hurt mentality in battalion, and like, like obviously every private's gonna go back to their barracks room. And talk to their roommate and be like, man, my team leader's an asshole. Man, my tab is an asshole. But at the same time, like, it's like having a dad who doesn't say he's proud of you. Like, you want them to say, like, hey, good job. So you want to work hard and earn that respect from them. Yeah. So, um, so this is kind of like this question. It's almost like a chip on their shoulder. Yeah. This question is kind of like a – I think this question will answer uh, – well, we'll answer in it the reason to talk talking about the ranger mindset. But like, what do you sure. think is the most notable difference between like the convention regular army to ranger battalion? Like, what like example? Like, what was the big difference that you saw when you were deployed with the tenth mountain division to now, like three deployments later with the ranger battalion and stuff like that? Um, I think. The biggest difference is everything moves faster in Ranger Battalion, um, and the standards are so much higher that, like, when we showed up, uh, every every unit when you deploy does a, a process called a relief in place or a rip, and um, some people call the process a left seat, right seat, where the guy who you're replacing will show you how he did his job. And then you can kind of take that and be like, okay, this is what's expected of me. And then make the process your own and be like, okay, he did it this way. I want to keep continue doing this, but I'm going to do it this way. <clears throat> and that's pretty normal. Um, I've, I've seen that in basically JRTC, NTC deployment every like everywhere that's how people usually um show what's expected of a, a unit that's forward and the rip process for me when i was in the big army was like a month i think and then in ranger battalion you're lucky if you get four days so like that's just they know that you are up to snuff and they're like this is what you need to do all right see you deuces i'm flying back to america like gonna go see my family um, so like it's just like fast and they ex they have such high expectations of you. They're like, this is what's expected of you. You've got three days to learn your job. Okay, you're good. Bye. And they don't expect you to be floundering after those three days. They expect you to be a professional and be like ready to go. And like in the uh, 10th Mountain, no, no like shit talking to the 10th Mountain, but like – we landed, we unpacked our gear, we got our guns, we, like, did our stuff, we did our accountability. Like, when we packed out in Ranger Regiment, we packed out <clears throat> all of our things, but we also packed our kit, our helmets, and our guns. The only thing we didn't have was ammo, so that if they needed us to go out with the platoon that we were replacing two platoons were ready to go out. It wasn't like, oh, I would go out, but my 
helmet is in a connex that's still in Germany or whatever, or like, oh, it's waiting for me in Kuwait. Like, you carried your shit to go on mission, like on the plane with you to Afghanistan. Mm -hmm. So it's just like that hunter killer, like mentality of like, I'm not going here to earn a tax free paycheck. I'm going here for war. And it's like a, it's hard to describe, but the ranger mentality, like uh, it might sound silly, but like words mean things. And the ranger creed is like, so ingrained in the ranger mentality when you show up to rasp like you're expected to already know it showing up to rasp um or learn it in pr the process called pre-rasp where you're like in processing for like a week um and you will likely say it every single day for probably the first year of your ranger career and some first sergeants make their companies say it every single morning <laughs> and it's like like it when you say like the soldier's creed and basic training, it's like, Oh, I'm an American soldier. But like the words in the ranger creed are like, they speak to what it means to be a ranger. Like I will never leave a fallen comrade to fall into the hands of the enemy. Like I will fight on though. I be the lone survivor. I will like, I'm going to the cutting edge of battle. Like it's all about winning. It's all about like that, mindset of being the best and absolutely like saying it over and over repetition definitely like pounds it in like this is who i am this is who i need to be and it's it's a different mentality for sure mm -hmm. yeah man I, that's that's some I, f I feel like the the those guys they're like well you you guys are very like um I picture you guys as like the patriots of of the the of the army. You know what I'm saying? Because because those guys are just so efficient at what they do, and they do it with so much pride, and it's just awesome to see. Like you look at them, yeah. they're all dressed up the fucking same with all the the same gear, doing some crazy shit. I, I love watching the videos on on uh, on YouTube. But one thing that following that, I also want to get into is. What makes the Rangers so efficient at their jobs? Like, why are they so good at, at just being the premier uh, raid force in, in the fucking world? So I, I'm glad that you mentioned uh, athletics uh, just now. Um, so you could compare the Ranger Battalion to the the New England Patriots. But I personally, I, I like this. I love this quote from Kobe Bryant. <clears throat> um, he took an ESPN um, staff writer that he, uh, he met before a game um, against the Clippers. So he was down in L.A., and um, the staff writer was like, oh, I need to do an interview. Uh, would you set some time aside? And he was like, I can't set any time aside. I'm too busy. Um, but if you would like, before the game, you can, uh, you can come watch me practice. And the game started at... 7 p.m. I believe and he said uh, yeah we can meet up at 5.45 and he was like 5.45 that's only like an hour 15 before like you need to be on the court like what and he said no 5.45 a.m. I'll be on the court and he said he watched Kobe Bryant from 5.45 a.m. other than stopping a break for lunch all he did was he practiced jump shots he practiced dribbling he practiced the free throw, and he did the most basic cone 
and basketball drills that every high schooler, everybody would do. And he was like expecting him to bust out like a windmill dunk or some like crazy three point from the half court, like shot some, some Kobe Bryant shit. And the ESPN staff writer was like, Hey man, like you're Kobe Bryant. Like, why are you doing all this? And he said, if you don't love doing the basics, the fundamentals, you won't be at my level. You won't perform at this level. And that's absolutely the Ranger mindset is mastery of the basics. We go out and I mean, we don't do dime washer drills, but we go out and we zero our guns a bunch of times. We go out and we do like getting in a stack, stacking on a door for like battle drill six a million times. And we like, we don't these Gucci, sexy Instagram shooting drills and stuff. We do the basics and we hammer it in. Um, and I forget who, who used this quote, but it's also very much applicable. It's amateurs practice till they get it right. Professionals practice till they can no longer get it wrong. And that's, that's battalion for sure. That's awesome, man. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm fan of it. It's, it's, I don't know if you have an answer to this question, right? It has nothing to do with what we just talked about, but sure. Um, I'm a 19 Delta. I'm a scout, and most okay. of the people that listen to this podcast do work with me, and they're all a whole bunch of calf scouts. What's, yeah, what's my brother the, was a 19 Delta. Yeah, he fucked up like I did, and everybody else. But, um, yeah. What's the reason? Is there, do you know the reason why scouts can't really go to regiment and stuff like that? Um. So. Yes and no, because that was actually when I graduated Ranger School, they like set all the NCOs in a room and they were like, if you're an NCO and you have a tab 12 months from the day you make staff sergeant, you will be back at Camp Rogers to be a RI. And we were all like, oh, that sucks. I don't want to be an RI. Um, And they were like, the only way we cannot pull you to be an RI is if you're in Ranger Regiment or if you're in SF. And I was like, lit. So (laughs) that was another another part of the reason why I went to Regiment is because I would rather be in regiment than be a ranger instructor down at Fort Benning. I think it's pretty good um, gig, though. It, it's really good for career progression. It absolutely is because it looks better on your resume than being a drill sergeant or a recruiter. But it's it's a long, hard job because you are doing ranger school every day with like 24-hour breaks in between to go shower and go home and then come back. So you're, you're like always in the mud patrolling with with the students so i've heard it's good but i've also heard it's bad but i remember one of the 19 deltas was like hey um and one of the regiment ris was up there talking and he was like yeah the only people who aren't gonna get this are the people in regiment and they kind of like segued into a regiment recruiting brief and he was like hey man i'm an e5 19 delta like can i go to regiment and he was like we have 170 or 150, something like that, some insane number of MOSs that they take, and 19 Delta isn't on there. And part of the reason for that is that regiment has their own reconnaissance detachment and reconnaissance platoons. And we man those using the um, 11 Bravo HHC scout and sniper platoon format. So we have a sniper platoon and a, a recce platoon. That's what we call it. Um, and the recce platoon is almost all 11 Bravos. So there isn't a 
MTO need in an infantry, a light infantry, airborne infantry battalion, there's not an MTO need for a 19 Delta. <clears throat> so um, I do know guys that came as MOSs that weren't in the regiment and they were allowed to reclass. But um, I believe you either would have to reclass 11 Bravo or some other support MOS and then go to RASP or go to RASP and be like, hey, I'm the wrong MOS. Can I reclass now that I have been accepted? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so they say no. um, you would have to talk to the Ranger recruiter and the recruiting detachment is super active on social media. In the last year, they have realized that like, for a really long time, the culture in Ranger Regiment was that social media was the devil. It's like, it's anti-OPSEC. It's the worst. Like, we don't want our guys posting pictures and, like, getting attention. And then in the last, like, 12 months, they realized, like, if we have a presence on Facebook and Instagram, that's where teenagers are. That's where young soldiers are. And they're going to watch our videos. They're going to see our shit. And so they've really stepped up their social media footprint. And if you talk to them, they will like probably respond to you within 30 minutes. Um, they're super, super aggressive on uh, Instagram, Facebook. And if you email them directly to the thing that's on the recruiting um, Instagram, like their email, the SOCOM email, they'll reply to you probably like the next day or the next week. And they're the people who handle all that. But if you're like the wrong MOS or not an MOS the regiment needs, they'll like show you the path to coming because regiment needs people. Yeah. That, 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 I mean, that's, that's cool that they're like kind of like adapting to, to, yeah. to the younger generation. It's because that's where everybody's at right now. Social media is Facebook, Instagram, Absolutely. Snapchat. Yeah. But I just have, I, I knew, I'm asking because I know a lot of people that work that are in my squadron that. They want to go to rest, but they have they, they have that whole barrier between uh, they don't take nineteen deltas and blah blah blah. But I mean, hopefully they're listening to this yeah. so they can kind of guide them to the right path. Um, yeah. <clears throat> so what was what was something that you learned um, learned f- through personal experience or or through <clears throat> other leaders in regular army that you carried on to regiment and helps you become a, a good leader in in the helped you become a good leader in the ranger regiment. Um, that's a, that's a tough question. That's like a really multi-pronged question too. Um, I think that the, one of the things that isn't like necessarily super prevalent that I took really to heart, um, from one of my squad leaders in 10th mountain who, uh, he was a, a private in the 82nd during the invasion of Iraq, um, was that like, the army sees us all as numbers, but if you are a leader at the small unit level, you absolutely have to see all of your soldiers as people and not as like equipment. Um, and like battle drill wise, it's just like X's and O's, like looking at a football play, but you have to like manage the talent within your unit. Um, and you have to realize like, Hey, this guy's good at this thing, this guy, he just doesn't have the personality or like these two guys, when you put them together, their personalities may clash. And he's like, you have to 
look at the individual as a whole. You can't just be like, well, he has a pulse. He's going to go here and work with that guy because, like, that's how you get slow, inefficient processes and, like, people that butt heads or, like, internal infighting that, like, fucks up the mission is by just seeing every single person as an interchangeable cog in a machine. You have to be like, this guy, hey, I'm putting this dude on CQ. He has a family. We just came out of the field. He hasn't seen his daughter since fucking last Monday. And it's like, this guy lives in the barracks and he's going to be fucking jerking his gherkin and playing Xbox Live. Like, he can probably handle a CQ shift. I'm not saying, like, every married guy needs a break all the time, but, like, you have to see people as people and you have to definitely take it into effect when you make decisions mm-hmm. yeah um so you as a, you as a squad leader as a staff sergeant squad leader um you have uh, ncos on you you have your sergeants you got your team leaders you got your like like you said you got your tabs what do you what do you expect from those guys when it comes to leadership um, I, I really, this is something that I always harped on and it was, I, I think if I had to change that answer about pet peeves earlier about driving, driving is a pretty big pet peeve of mine, but another like leadership thing that I cannot stand and I like, it makes you the weakest leader in my mind is expecting your subordinates to do things that you either have not done or are not willing to do. That is, it's like a disgusting human trait to me. Um, and I absolutely think that you should, as a tab or a, a, a specialist, or a like, a, if you're a senior specialist or a junior NCO, you should um, you should show your privates the right thing to do instead of telling it to them. You should lead by example. And like, if the book says to do one thing but you know a better way to do it, you need to like pass on the knowledge that you've learned. And I'm not saying that you should absolutely like throw the book out all the time. Cause there are people who like believe that and do that. And it's sometimes pretty disastrous, but like you need to pass on your knowledge and you need to like be with your guys, like supervising and showing them the way to do stuff. Because, like, in my opinion, the weakest leader is the guy who is just a parrot. Where first sergeant says something, then the platoon sergeant regurgitates it down, then the squad leader regurgitates it down. And by the time it gets to your privates, it's the team leader just saying the exact same words that first sergeant said instead of going out with the privates and making sure it gets accomplished. And, like, showing them, like, oh, hey, this layout can be confusing if you just dump it out this way. Like hey, this is a trick I learned last year when I was doing this as a private. Do it this way or whatever. Like literally whatever the task could be. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, hidden on, you mentioned the privates. What is something that you as a leader expect from your privates, especially the ones that have like a lot of leadership potential? Um, I so think what, that's, that's like a, a super... Uh, <laughs> hard thing to gauge is like when you have a private like which privates are gonna just be like the scared puppy that you like yell at them and they're like "Ah!" or which ones like they thrive on like stepping up and all that um but 
I would say that from my subordinates, I expect them to work hard, but also to like be a sponge. Like I know that a lot of guys come into the military out of like sports teams or whatever. And like, you might've been the captain of your football team or your baseball team or whatever. And so you have that like alpha male personality and then you come into the army and it's like, Oh my God, these people that just like roll over or whatever. Um, like you can't always try and be like enforcing your will on the people around you. And especially when you're a private and you like, you're new to a job and you don't know the job yet. Like, the worst trait to have is to be an unteachable and to think that you already know what you've never experienced. And like, if you come in with the mindset of like, I'm new, I don't know anything, but I'm willing to learn. I'm willing to be taught and I'm eager to be taught. That's like, that's irreplaceable. Yeah. Um, we're coming. We're coming close to an end. We're not just there yet, but we yeah. got a couple more questions. I, um, well, through your time, it can be either uh, at at the tenth mountain. It can be your time before the military, but like, well, actually, yeah, after the after you join the military, it could be in tenth mountain or at regiment. What was the hardest decision that you made in your military career as a leader? Hardest decision? Yeah, something that you had to like put a lot of thought into it. You like, I don't know. I'm sure you have. Um, I would probably have to answer that like kind of two ways because the hardest personal decision I ever made while I was in the army was the decision to re-enlist because I, when I joined, I I joined with a long contract. Um, I enlisted in 2011 and um, it was right after Osama bin Laden was killed. So in my mind, I was like, oh, Osama bin Laden's dead. We are pulling out of Afghanistan. And at the time, there was like no end in sight to Iraq. And so I was like, if I join the army, I'm never going to go to Afghanistan. And I might get to go to Iraq once. But like, I need to, since they're going to end these wars, there's not going to be a reenlistment incentive. So... I need to just do a long contract right out the gate to guarantee me some money. So I enlisted six years and I was like, I'm going to do six and that's it. As soon as I hit my six years, I'm done. And I was like dead set for like a really long time. I was like, I'm not re-enlisting. No, this is stupid. I'm going to college, like whatever. And then uh, after my first deployment, I was like, man, I didn't get a CIB overseas. I didn't get to like go patrol and see combat. Like it was totally different than I thought it would be. And it like really was difficult for me to rationalize adding another four years to my contract to uh, reach those goals. Cause like everyone that joins as a, as a combat arms MOS wants to go see combat. Yeah. And so it was like, that was my ultimate goal, but it was such a hard decision because like I had a family, I had a wife and I had been doing this since I was 18 years old. And I was like, Oh my God, this is like really weighing hard on me. Um, and it like kept me up at night before 
I went and did my reenlistment ceremony. But now, like, at the twilight of that period, leaving active duty, I don't regret it for a single second. It was absolutely worth it. And to anyone who is in the position where they're in their reenlistment window or they're, like, on the fence about a decision with their career, absolutely you get what you put in. That's what you will get out of the military. And I would recommend to anyone, don't be that guy who's 50 years old at the VFW drinking a beer, regretting their military career. Don't be that guy. If you want to do it, prepare yourself and go do it. Yeah. That's the only way to live life. Mm-hmm. Um, so what's, the, what's the other way that you said you, you, could, you could answer that question? Um, I think the other, the other way was um, like as a leader, the hardest decision I've, uh, I've had to make was there was uh, two points in my career where as a subordinate, I had to stand up to my, um, to my senior leader and be like, hey, what we're doing is wrong. And everyone in the military always talks about leadership and they always talk about like um, being like having integrity and accountability. And when you're faced with a moral problem or a situation where you have to confront someone on those grounds, it's like extremely stressful and daunting to go and tell someone who has the potential to like fire you or to demote you or whatever, or recommend you for like disciplinary action. It's extremely stressful to go and have the integrity to tell that person like what you're doing is wrong. And there were two points in my, in my almost 10 year uh, period of active duty that I had to tell a leader that what they were doing was wrong. And it was extremely difficult. Um, and I, looking back, don't regret either time because um, it was the right thing to do. But it was, uh, it was very, very difficult to like soul search and be like, is it worth it to take the hard right over just letting this person do this thing that I know is wrong? Um, but absolutely, I would say it was. Mm, that's good. That's good. Um, do you have someone that you use as an inspiration whenever you go through a tough time? Um, that's a that's a tough one. Uh, like like military wise, like a like a, a single person, life. I would say no. But I, my career and my, um, my like background was shaped by quite a few very, very strong mentors. Um, and some of them are still guys that I talk to today, um, on social media or, or text or whatever. Um, but there was definitely squad leaders and platoon sergeants that like, they showed me what the right thing was. Um, if I had to pick one single person, I would say it was my, uh, my <clears throat> second squad leader, Derek Najati. Um, he, uh, he was in the old guard before he came to the 10th mountain and that guy was, he lived in breezes standard and you like, even if it was the most trivial thing, you couldn't like, like say you showed up to work and all your socks were dirty and you showed up with white socks instead of 
your OD green socks and like you weren't wearing your dog tags. You just had your ID card on you. He would like fuck you up. And it's like some people would be like, that's so stupid. It's just uniforms. But like he knew that if he could instill the discipline in his guys of doing the right thing all the time, when it came to ask them to like go clear a building, they would do the right thing in that instance, even even if they were like, uh, I don't know 100% the plan, like they wouldn't question it because he had already instilled that discipline in them, even if it was something as simple as like white socks and dog tags. Mm-hmm. But that guy, that guy was a, a phenomenal leader and uh, an amazing, amazing guy. Um, and we're coming up to the last question, and and you you've been you've been in the army for almost for half for half of the amount of time that you need to retire. Right? You've been in the army for a while. You got a couple yeah. of deployments in. You got you got experience in special operations and conventional army, but um, and you you're still gonna follow on with you doing some big stuff, right? Um, either that be a National Guard or active duty, whatever the case is. But what is <clears throat> what is your key to be successful and be the best person that you can be? Um, I think like it's kind of cliche, but I I think everything that you choose to do in life boils down to motivation and your why. Why are you doing something? And <clears throat> I. I like to live my life with no regrets. I like to um, it, to set my sights on uh, on big things. Um, and my wife is a very big inspiration in my life. Um, she made quite a few sacrifices for our family um, while I was pursuing my goals in my career. And um, kind of as I transition to the National Guard, I'm making a couple sacrifices for her and her career. Um, but I think absolutely you have to evaluate what your values are personally and you have to, um, not compromise that, uh, for money or for, uh, clout on social media or whatever it may be. You need to stay true to who you are and what you value, um, and let that be what determines, um, your future and your, your goals and stuff, because, um, you are the only person that you have to hold yourself accountable to at the end of your life. When you're looking back and saying, Oh, I was young and full of piss and vinegar. I wish I did blank. Don't do that. Just if you want to do something, set your goals to do that thing. Mm-hmm. Well, Hey man, I appreciate you coming on the show, and I appreciate you sharing a lot of experience to these people. I'm sure, I and we we kind of motivated like maybe like six, seven people to go to Rask and try to go be Rangers. But um, hey. I appreciate you taking the time and coming to spread some knowledge to all of the the listeners you got over here. Yeah, it was a uh, it was a pleasure being on. Right, Thank man. you for uh, the opportunity. Yep. Well, world's greatest leaders. Uh, I'll see you guys on the next episode. All right. Um, Yeah, goodbye. Bye.